right, live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night, April 14th. Glad you're in. Paul Nolan's here with the news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amarati's here with sports. Geo Fran holding it down. Hope everybody had a good day. Lots to cover tonight. Um, I believe the great John Solomon's going to join us at some point tonight to talk about his one-hour special Tomorrow night at 8 p.m. right here on Real America's Voice, Justin News is hosting a one-hour special event entitled Securing Our Elections, the Grassroots Battle for Easy, Safe Voting. And certainly it is a battle. As we've talked about on this show, everything is a battle over the next two and four years with this administration and this president uh, and whoever's actually making the decisions and then telling him what they're doing. So it's, it's a battle all around. Uh, it's going to be hosted by John Solomon. I'm sure he's going to have great guests. Well, we'll ask him tonight at some point when he comes on, maybe who, if he has guests, I'm sure he does. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be appointment television because we're in the fight and everybody has their feelings on what happened in this past election. What role? Well, as we always did on this show, we had kind of the two buckets. We had the the constitutional bucket of the things that were going on in all these states. And then we had the Kraken bucket, for lack of a better term, <laughs> of all of the, what was, you know, the real, what people called cheating, theft, whatever you want to call it. Um, all the votes stopping at the same time, who, you know, all of the, all the questions we asked all the way along. All so, the anomalies. All yes. The, yes, the all the anomalies. All like those strange, the bellwether counties. Strange anomalies. <laughs> 35 out of 36 <laughs> bellwether counties. Strange anomalies. The super that liberal. He yeah. lost by 3%. No Republican has ever gotten close within 20%. He lost by 3 out of, and no, never mind. Yes, all of that. All <laughs> well, of look, that. Look, look what just happened. We just got deplatformed off the, off the world. <laughs> exactly. so, so, two buckets, we always kept things on. So, um, as I asked Daniel Greenfield, uh, was it Daniel Greenfield I asked? I believe it was. And I'll, and I'll ask Mr. Solomon um, if, if he believes that the Trump administration on the constitutional bucket kind of got caught, kind of got caught late to the game, maybe, on what was really going on around the country as Mark Elias and all the, the Democratic operatives were going into these states making deals. You had Stacey Abrams running around Georgia, making deals with the Republican Secretary of State. Legislature doesn't even know about it. You have Act 77 getting pushed through in the middle of the night through an omnibus bill in Pennsylvania. All the election laws that were changed in violation of the federal constitution with the state legislatures having all of the power. Um, were they a little late to the game in, in really seeing the writing on the wall of what was going on really a year leading up to the election. So, but, uh, so this is tomorrow night hosted by Mr. Salmon. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. And it's obviously something that everybody's interested in. So eight o'clock, we will be on the hour following this at nine o'clock. So Mr. Solomon, hopefully will join us tonight. We'll talk about it and give you a little more info. And then we'll, uh, all be tuning in tomorrow night right here on real America's voice. So, uh, lots to do tonight. Couple crazy towns for you. Joe Biden, um, well, as he likes to do, because he is a old, senile liar, 
<laughs> he likes to rewrite history, and he attempted to do that again today. That'll be one of the focuses of Crazy Town. Um, we have Jen Psaki confirming that on my birthday, oh man, come on, what a present this is. <laughs> Joe Biden will man. address a joint session of Congress, and I guess give the State of the Union. I'm gonna try. That's I'm gonna try and get someone to change the writing on those cards. So when he pulls it out to read a number, he'll say, "Happy birthday, Damon." <laughs> yes. Oh, this I'll is the looking. gift that keeps on giving with crazy towns on this one. This oh, is gonna man. be great for you. This is the first time ever on the show we will have live crazy towns happening with no editing, <laughs> no no foresight, no music. They'll just happen right in front of our face uh, on the show. Um, where's Jerry Nadler when you need him? Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, well, I guess we'll start here. This is an article I've been trying to get to. This is in Breitbart by Ken Blackwell. And again, I think kind of sums up a lot of what a lot of us are feeling. And given this special that John Solomon's doing on the election tomorrow night. Um, but Mr. Blackwell says beyond election integrity, American exceptionalism is in the crosshairs of the radical left. Democrats, uh, corrupt politicians act pending in the Senate is a frontal assault on our Constitution's Federalist recipe for freedom, which has served our nation well for centuries, putting Congress in complete control of its own elections. The American people must oppose the radical left's hostile takeover of our rights to vote, and with it, the death of American exceptionalism. And of course, he's referring to H.R. 1. And you know, we... We call it H.R. 1, and sometimes we don't stop to talk about the fact that obviously, and most of you are going to go, duh, Damon, we know this, but maybe some of you don't, that that stands for House Resolution 1, meaning this is, the fir- this is top priority. This is the first thing being brought by this Congress, this House. This is the first resolution that we're bringing up. And what is it? Of course, the Democrats trying to entrench Pelosi and Schumer trying to entrench power so that they never lose it. Not, you know, not like, okay, how do we um, fix, get, uh, create jobs or fix this? Or, no, 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 no. How do we stay here forever? That's priority number one. And screw the Republicans if they don't want to play along. So that's, this is House Resolution 1, H.R. 1, and this is this disaster that we spoke to... Um, well, that's who I asked that question to was Hans von Spakovsky, not Daniel Greenfield, uh, about whether they were caught off guard. That's who it was. So as we spoke to him about, uh, many things combined to create the magic we call American exceptionalism, Mr. Blackwell says, which at least Ronald Re- since Ronald Reagan has been a hallmark of the Republican Party. We continue to pursue and realize the vision to make America that shining city upon a hill. A biblical image that patriots have rooted deeply in the, uh, in the ethos of this great nation. Thousands of years ago, Aristotle wrote of the never-ending dilemma of balancing the size of muscle of government with the need for individual liberty. Our founders tackled that dilemma at the birth of our nation, writing our constitution to put a harness on government. Much of that exceptional magic is embedded in the provisions of our Constitution. People talk about 
our freedom to speak or to live according to our faith or to keep and bear arms, these and many other rights are found in the words of our supreme law. Another ingredient of that greatness found both in our constitution and in our traditions is the decentralization of power. This is called federalism, the balance of power between the federal government and the states. The constitution assigns certain issues to the federal government and certain other issues to the states. Our bill of rights even includes a 10th amendment that makes it crystal clear to anyone who missed these not too subtle hints that if the constitution doesn't make a specific duty assignment, then it belongs to the states, not to Washington, D.C. Aside from being commanded by our constitution, almost 250 years of history has proved federalism to be a fantastic idea. Federalism has allowed our states to be the laboratories of democracy, where 50 states try different approaches to see which theories pushed by smart people turn out to be sheer genius and others turn out to be duds. Most ideas end up somewhere between with pluses and minuses so that some states prefer one approach, others choose another. Citizens can vote for candidates that promise to pursue the ideas those citizens feel will reflect their local values and their priorities. And if a citizen loses that fight but thinks the issue is important enough, that citizen can vote with their feet, moving to a state that better reflects what that voter thinks is important. On some issues, both our Constitution and our tradition split that issue between levels of government. The issue I'm most familiar with in that category is elections. Having served both as a top state election official and a human rights ambassador and presidential election commissioner at the federal level, Mr. Blackwell. The Constitution says most elections matters, uh, most election matters belong to state legislatures, but empowers Congress to override certain aspects of elections if it so chooses. Our tradition is that states have the primary role in elections, and Congress is careful and narrow when passing laws that override those parts of the election process where the Constitution allows Congress to intervene. The Corrupt Politicians Act, otherwise known as H.R. 1 in the House and S. 1 in the Senate, throws a bomb into the balance that federalism provides for elections. It tries to ram through a comprehensive federal takeover of our elections, completely ousting states from this arena of traditional state responsibility. As I previously wrote for Breitbart, laws like Georgia's SB202 are designed to make it easier to vote, but harder to cheat, while HR1 does the exact opposite. This bill's around 800 pages, and it's a hostile takeover. It abolishes voter ID, both for registering to vote and for casting a ballot. It gets rid of almost every measure used to make sure that people are who they claim to be, live where they claim to live, and are qualified to vote like automatically throwing every welfare recipient on the voter rolls and allowing people to both register to vote and cast a ballot on election day. The Corrupt Politicians Act takes all the chaos of mail-in voting, 
puts it on steroids and makes it nationwide. It mandates multiple weeks of mail-in ballots floating all over every state and empowers special interest groups to come to your home to, quote, help you fill out your ballot, then take it from you, promising, of course, to deliver it to your local election office. Is anyone naive enough to think it would result in anything other than people voting for the wrong candidate to feel the pressure of these helpers to check the box for the right candidate or that any voter who stands by their principles to vote for the candidate of their choice that the helpers will properly deliver that ballot only for the right candidate while ballots for the wrong candidate may end up in the dumpster? The Corrupt Politician Act puts Congress 100% in charge of these elections. The Fox shouldn't be the one in charge of guarding the hen house, and the Constitution's command of federalism in our elections shows the founders didn't trust any single group of politicians to guard their own entry visas in that manner. Mm. I will finish this when we get back. Live from Studio 6B, 13 past the hour. Glad you're in on a busy Wednesday night. Lots to do. News with Paul. Sports with Rick. Rick Delgado's here as well. We'll do it all when we get back right after this. Real America's Voice presents War Room with Steve Bannon. Yeah, I want to talk about the mentality. This is the reason we're in the situation that we're in. The reason we're in the situation we're in is because of the compromise, the money of the Chinese Communist Party flowing through our capital markets, flowing through our cultural institutions, flowing through our corporations, and eventually buying political coverage in the Uniparty here in Washington, D.C. Don't miss War Room every weekday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Live from Studio 6B, 17 past the hour on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. Those of you asking, this is a fantastic article. I'm, I'm almost through here. Uh, Ken Blackwell is on the policy board of the American Constitutional Rights Union. He's the Distinguished Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance at the Family Research Council. That's the author here. So and just wrapping up, he says, The great Winston Churchill famously said, Democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. That quote is famous because it's profoundly true. Our constitutional republic might have its problems, but it's the best thing going. We are not a perfect union, but we are perfectible. It has served us well for a quarter of a millennium, and we have continued to improve it over the years. Our federal system of government has forced our nation's capital, to compete with the states for the approval of voters, keeping an eye on each other to the benefit of the citizens who must live under both levels of government. The fact that this federalist system plays out in elections, the machinery of our democratic republic itself should cause us all to take a hard and skeptical look. The marvel of our election system is something we should guard very carefully, even jealously. Congress should reject this assault on the Constitution's safeguards of the democratic process. And state legislatures should continue to make it easy to vote and harder to cheat. And um, 
I mean, if you had to write an article that summed up what we've talked about on this show leading up to the election and since the election about all the constitutional issues and, like I said, the two buckets of the constitutional problems and then the pure cheating issues and Smartmatic and all that stuff that came up, I mean, that, that's pretty damn close. I mean, that's pretty fantastic there. Um, hey, let me ask you a quick question real quick. Um, do you think that this... You know, because, again, we saw we saw all the court things that were rejected. They wouldn't even look at evidence and such like that. Do you think this was done or, or should I say, do you think this was part of the plan of just, you know, getting as much stuff out there as possible to, to let people see what what is not happening on the federal level to to wake people up and say, hey, you know what? This elect this election process, it does need to be protected, you know, because all of a sudden now we see the states. This, they're kind of taking back their power, right? Well, some places are trying. But again, uh, this is why, you know, as we've said, you see what's, well, you see what, well, look at Georgia. You see what they're trying to do and look, look what's going, what, look how it's getting uh, racialized from Joe Biden, Jim Crow on steroids, Jim Crow 2.0. Right. But so. also look at Arizona. They're, they're trying to do a forensic exam. John yeah. Solomon. He's saying John oh, Solomon. Oh, he's saying Solomon. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Mr. Solomon's ready. Please welcome to live from Studio <clears throat> 6B, the great John Solomon, who tomorrow night, one hour special right here on Real, Real America's Voice. Please welcome back, Mr. John Solomon. Mr. Solomon, how are you? I am well, Damon. Great to join you and the gang. It should be fun. Well, it's always good to have you. Thank you very much. So, tomorrow night, 8 p.m., securing our elections, the grassroots battle for easy, safe voting. Hosted by, of course, yourself. Tell us a little bit about this. Uh, maybe some of the guests, you, what are you going to be talking about? Obviously, we're talking so far in the show about the election. And um, it is a battle. We know we're in a battle here. We know everybody's got their opinions on what happened. So what are you going to cover tomorrow night? That's a, you know, listen, the, the line you just used is the line that we're hearing all across America. Let Make it easier to vote and make it safer to vote. It's not that hard, and it's common sense, and I think there's even a lot of Democrats that are rallying behind that, despite all the silliness in Washington with H.R. 1 and other things. Uh, but we're going to have Senator Rick Scott from Florida. We're going to have uh, State Representative Jay Kaufman from Arizona. We're going to have uh, Congressman Jim Banks. We're going to have the governor of Georgia, uh, Governor Kemp, joining us. And all of these people have been part of a solution since November 11th. There's been a lot of people cursing the darkness and complaining and uh, upset about what happened in November. These folks have worked at the grassroots level all the way up to the top of their governments to start to create common sense solutions. You've got the Georgia law. Arizona passed a law that says no more of that Zuckerberg money. You can't privately pay election judges private money and, and tell them to go get more Democratic votes. That's a bad idea. Corrupts the system. All of these uh, folks have played a role in trying to find solutions, constructive solutions, and some of them have passed. Arizona, Georgia, already on the way. Other states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, working on those. We're going to talk about all that. And there's been a ton of court rulings since the uh, November 20th election, uh, November 2020 election, that have debunked the idea, the Democratic talking point, no irregularities. There were irregularities. The Wisconsin Supreme Court, the Michigan uh, Common Court, the uh, a, a Circuit Court in Virginia, all have ruled that officials in those states took actions during the pandemic that violated state law and changed the way people voted in a legal way. Uh, we're we're going to cover all that tomorrow night on the special. Really excited about it. It's a great group of people. And I always love, instead of talking about the problems, when we can talk about solutions. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Speaking of the Zuckerberg, just for a second, because you bring that up, you know, Phil Klein from the Amistad Project was on that. I mean, I can remember seeing him giving interviews long before Election Day, and he said, we got to watch out for the Zuckerberg money. How is how is Zuckerberg not under some investigation for that money in, in being an in-kind donation in some way? Has that ever been brought up? Or has anyone ever brought up the idea of how is he not being looked at, and how is this money not being looked at? Remarkably, the Republican National Committee has never filed a federal election complaint to start the process of requesting an investigation. They're asleep at the wheel. Listen, we worked right alongside Phil. Back in October of last year, we did the original FOIA stories out of Wisconsin, showing the five states, Racine, Madison, Milwaukee, Green Bay being the most prominent, uh, uh, getting this money and being required as part of the money to get out the vote uh, in Democratic enclaves. In other words, tip the election towards Democrats. Just this week, just this week, my good colleague, uh, Daniel Payne and I, we got new FOIAs, Natalia Middlestadt, the other reporter that worked on this, out of Detroit. In Detroit, a Mark Zuckerberg's group gave $7.4 million to the election judges, the election arbiters, who are supposed to be neutral, and their job, according to the contracts we got, was to dramatically, that's the word in the document, dramatically increase, get out the vote in this democratic city. This is the sort of thing that really wrecks American confidence in these elections. You've got judges who are supposed to be neutral arbiters, free from undue influence, taking millions of dollars, and then being given the mission of, go get us more black voters, get, go get us more Asian voters, more Hispanic voters, more urban voters, a la more democratic voters. It disturbs everyone who, has looked at this. Unfortunately, many in the mainstream media have tried to suffocate it. And you're right. Phil Klein had it first, and he's been carrying it out, working it. He also is going to be on our special tomorrow night for an update on what we call now the Zuckbucks controversy. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, the other thing, I don't know if you saw, but Tucker Carlson's been under attack since last Friday night show because he made the point, which, I mean, I've made the point, so that tells you you don't have to be a genius to make this point, that the Democratic Party, obviously, when they you see what's going on at the border, if the Democratic Party thought for one second that people coming across the border, thousands of them, thousands of them, um, were going to vote Republican, the wall would be built so fast, uh, it would make your head spin. The idea <laughs> that the Democrats try to blur the line between citizen and non-citizen, and when they look at it, all they see is how does it help us entrench our power? The idea that that statement or thought is somehow questionable is um, pretty astounding. Did you happen to catch any of that? I did. And listen, the Democrats are so good at using identity politics and race to try to always put someone on the defensive. But listen, this notion of Democrats trying to manipulate the election with uh, uh, immigrants has been around for 20 years. I'm old enough to remember and have written the stories at the Associated Press in the 90s when Bill Clinton and Al Gore were trying to rush a whole bunch of new citizens through ahead of time to try to get them ready to vote in the 1996 election because they thought it would help them beat Bob Dole and the Republican ticket. This idea of bringing immigrants in, turning them into Democratic voters, rushing them through the system is 25 years old. It's been around a long time. All right, so it's hold not fantastical. It's yeah, true. Let, let's hit the break. Mr. You, can you stay with us for one more segment? Absolutely. As long as you need me. The great job. Well, you're here, you're here until 10 then. All right, we're back live from Studio 6B after this. <laughs> Real America's Voice presents Just the News AM with Sophie Mann. 
Biden also introduced a number of other regulations that will affect gun owners across the country, but emphasized that he does not see his actions as a threat to the Second Amendment. Were the case, if what he said was true, he wouldn't need to be doing executive orders. He wouldn't need to be forcing this down the American public's throat. Don't miss Just the News AM every weekday at 9 a.m. Eastern. All right, live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Um, 30 minutes past the hour, the great John Solomon's been with us. We're going to bring him back on for this segment. Uh, we're going to take some calls right now as well. 844-995-3762. Mr. Solomon has a one-hour special tomorrow night on Real America's Voice called Securing Our Elections, the Grassroots Battle for Easy, Safe Voting. Uh, Mr. Solomon's already let us know some of the guests, Rick Scott. The governor of Georgia, that's that's be interested to see what he he was in the middle of all of it, uh, along with the secretary of state Raffensperger in Georgia. And when you look in Georgia, Mr. Solomon rejoins us now. It's one of the places that, you know, we've been talking. I asked Hans von Spakovsky this and I said, do you think the Trump administration and it kind of goes to what you were saying in the last segment about the Republican National Committees sitting there doing nothing on Zuckerberg? Do you think they were caught, caught kind of flat footed on? all of the unconstitutional changes to our election laws that were going on in places like Georgia, in places like Pennsylvania, uh, where they kind of late to the game on what was going on in some of these places. What's your feeling on that? You know, I wasn't only late to the game about the revelations of what had done, these consent decrees that Stacey Abrams secured in Georgia, the rule changes that the Secretary of State in Michigan and Wisconsin imposed, the, uh, uh, the you-can-count absentee ballots in Virginia, even if they don't have a postmark, meaning they weren't mailed. Isn't that a red flag for some people? They weren't only uh, clueless to that. They, weren't, uh, they didn't have their antenna up. Some of these legislators didn't realize that the Constitution really empowered them to set the rules, that it wasn't the election commissioner or the Secretary of State who got to uh, set the rules. The Constitution uh, empowered legislators to do it. What's been an amazing transformation since Election Day is the number of state legislators I've talked to, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, everywhere you go, they all now are seizing the power that they're, uh, they know the Constitution gave them. They're taking back the election rules. They're setting the rules for 2022. You can't get 2020 back now. It's gone. But a lot of these great men and women are talking about how they're going to fix and prevent the things that happened in 2020 going forward. We're going to have one of them on tomorrow, uh, State Representative Jay Kaufman from Arizona. He's a guy that very quickly got a law passed in Arizona saying, no more Zuck bucks. We're not taking private money. We're not slipping money under the table for election judges at the local, state, or county level. That's a good thing for all Americans. And I think these legislators have woken, uh, woke up. I hate to use the word woke nowadays because it has so many different bad connotations. But th these legislators are on the ball for the first time taking control. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've asked you this before, but I want to hear what you have to say again. You see what's going on with H.R. 1. Hans von Spakovsky called it the greatest frontal assault on elections that we've ever seen, power grab that we've ever seen. Um, and yet you look at the Democrats and again, it kind of goes back to, again, you, sometimes you just shake your head and think, what are the Republicans doing in the Republican committee, in the Senate? I mean, Kamala Harris has not had to come to the Senate to vote on one thing to break a tie. The Republicans, I noticed the new uh, national UN ambassador today making comments that the United States is, basically has racism um, in its DNA or whatever she said. And I looked to see how in her vote, 
She's voted in 78 to 20. I mean, it's like the Republicans just in there rubber stamping things, rubber stamping things, rubber stamping things. Uh, you just wonder sometimes that the Republicans are really in for the fight, and especially the fight that's going to be here on H.R. 1, because uh, as he said, th- try to nationalize elections, and you look at what Joe Biden's doing, signing executive order, there's no part of our society that they're not looking to turn on its head right now in these next two years. And you have to wonder sometimes if the Republicans are are in for the fight. I'm not relying on Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema to save the damn country. <laughs> yeah, that's a risky strategy if you're a Republican, for sure. Uh, I think you're right. Listen, I think some of the, uh, the uh, Republicans in Washington, particularly in the establishment, as we like to call them, are still in shell shock. They, they haven't figured out what hit them in November. They're still trying to get over the idea that Donald Trump's not in power, but he's still around everywhere. And uh, they're not uh, uh, having their eyes on the ball. Where this election battle is going to be won, where this uh, battle for the heart and soul of America before 22 is going to be won, it's going to be won at the grassroots level. It's going to be won at state legislatures level, at local levels. It's going to be won in the courts. Uh, I don't think there are a lot of um, leaders in the Senate and the House or Republicans that really have a strategy for combating what Biden's doing or for what Stacey Abrams doing. They don't even have a congruent message to combat the idea that somehow it is racist. It's Jim Crow to ask a black voter for a voter ID, even though when that black voter goes to the bank, he's asked for, or she, he or she's asked for a voter ID. When they go buy a six pack, they're asked for a, a voter for an ID. When they go took their SAT test, they were asked for an ID. Uh, it, there is almost an inherent form of soft racism in this argument the Democrats are making that black voters and Hispanic voters aren't good enough to go out and get an ID. That's ridiculous. We all know that's ridiculous. The Republicans could counter that and, 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 and beat that out. You know, Ken Blackwell had that wonderful article you read, very eloquent. I just had him on my podcast. There are smart language, smart ideas, smart sentiments that can beat all of these crazy ideas down. Sadly, most of the leadership in the Republican Party in Washington isn't doing it. Now, a lot of the state folks, a lot of the think tank folks, the folks at Heritage Action, Ken Blackwell, they're fighting it. They're coming up with good lines. You've probably got the best line for the Georgia law of anyone. Safe and easier voting. That's all the Republicans really want. You ha- try to find a Republican on national TV that can articulate that. It's a real problem for the party right now. Yeah. So I want to ask you about some other things going on, but I guess, so your specials tomorrow night, 8 p.m. right here on Real America's Voice. You, uh, you told us some of the guests. So what what will the viewers, what do you hope the viewers will, I mean, uh, obviously there's a lot of citizens in the country who I think get depressed sometimes and think, number one, it's going to be a long four years. What do we do? We've talked on this show a lot about what you just said. A lot of it has to start happening at the state legislature, the local level. We've got to get people who represent the ideals of the people who put them there, even down to the local sheriffs. You see what's going on with all the COVID, the masks, the mandates, all of the double talk on you get vaccinated, but your life doesn't get any better. All of that. Um, What do you hope people leave Will they leave with hope that we're going to get this right tomorrow night? What, what will they leave after watching the hour feeling? What do you hope they do? 
That's a, that's a great question. For a lot of those uh, uh, voters who are depressed now, all they have to do is tune into Studio 6B. I was talking to <laughs> a fellow from Louisiana during the commercial break. I picked up the phone because I love doing this. this. This I was made to be a telemarketer. I should have been on the phone all day. <laughs> but he, he was great, and he wanted to let you guys know he loves what you do. He loves the common sense way you describe things, and you're arming him with ammunition. I thought that was really cool uh, for that gentleman down in Louisiana to say that. Listen, knowledge is power. And I hope tomorrow night people walk away with things that their local media and their national media have kept them in the dark about. They haven't been told, except if they read just the news and watched Real America's Voice, that there are three court rulings that said, you know what? A lot of what went on in 2020 November was illegal wrong. They don't know that Zuckerberg put $350 million into a single election giving it to the referees. If we gave $350 million to the NHL referee doing tomorrow night's Rangers game, everyone would be up in arms saying, my God, you're buying the ref. We did that all across the country. They don't know about that. So I want to educate them about that. And I think these lawmakers who've just taken the carpe diem approach, you can solve these things. These are not hard things to do. You don't have to sit in a quarter and take all this and say, we're, well, we're powerless. You get to your legislature, you get a law passed, you call your congressman saying, hey, I believe in voter IDs because 77% of voters in our poll, just the news poll said, they believe voter IDs is a good idea. Hell, Jimmy Carter, can't get any more liberal than that. He was arguing for voter IDs all the way back in 2005. Maybe Georgians should look that up. Uh, he, he ran a commission that said voter IDs were essential to the future of American voting. This idea that we that voter IDs is Jim Crow racist is just preposterous. And a little information, a little know-how, I think people can take things into their own hands and get stuff done. And that's what we're gonna do. We're, we mentioned the grassroots, because at the end of the day, this country is always most empowered when it's done with the people on the front lines. And that's the way to fix this crisis that we're in right now. Yeah. So a couple other things. Hunter Biden's been making the rounds on this uh, book he's got. I don't know if you've seen any of these sit-downs, but... Um, I, I did. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really astounding, number one, that the host who sit down with him let, a, let him get away with this line of BS that he's pushing. But what, what are your overall thoughts on what he's doing? Well, you know, I, I always, we always heard the line, hear no evil, see no evil. Uh, uh, Hunter Biden has brought in a new one. Remember no evil. <laughs> he can't remember anything. Yeah. He can't remember the woman he apparently fathered a child with. He can't remember whether he turned his laptop into the Delaware shop. I know why he can't remember it. If I was Hunter Biden and I was in business with a guy uh, uh, who uh, was arrested while my father was in, while his father was in the vice presidency, Devin Archer, and convicted of defrauding an Indian tribe, I might want to forget that. If I was in business with a Chinese national named Patrick Ho, who got arrested and indicted in the United States for illegal activities, and by the way, was the target of a FISA warrant because they considered him a national security risk, I might want to forget that. If I was taking lots of money from Burisma, $3.5 million, from a company my father's administration or his father's administration deemed corrupt. I probably want to forget that, too. I think his amnesia has a lot to do with the extraordinary embarrassment, not of what went on in his, uh, his you know, the drug addiction he has. That, you know, listen, no one wants to criticize him for drug addiction. It's a real illness. I've known many people that struggled with it. Uh, he, that's not the part that matters. In fact, they want to focus on that and, and keep us focused on that redemption story because they don't want us to see the petty cronyism, the political corruption that he engaged in, and all the people he surrounded himself with, which, by the way, addiction doesn't make you do it. You make personal choices. They're felons. They're intelligence risks. They were communists. Uh, 
that's why he can't remember anything. And uh, sadly, the news media let him get away with that routine. Yeah. Um, did you just recently sit down with um, Senator Marco Rubio? We did, my good colleague, Nick Ballacy, yesterday. Yes. Boy, did he have some sharp words about the Biden decision to pull out the troops in Afghanistan. Now, in fairness, Biden is following along a policy that Donald Trump started. So we're going to be honest with the viewers that Donald Trump started it. Biden finished it. Marco Rubio isn't a fan of either's approach. He believes we should stay there a long time uh, and, and not let Afghanistan go backwards. He believes it's going to fall into the hands of the Taliban. Strong, strong words. Great interview. We had it on, I had it on a lot of the uh, Real America's Voices shows today. I was really proud of that. And uh, really great interview. We got more coming up from that interview tomorrow morning on some other topics. Yeah, you also had, I guess, Lindsey Graham that said Biden is um, the most destabilizing president on foreign policy. And to think about everything he's doing here, as we seem to be almost living in a monarchy with all the executive orders he's signing, we haven't really seen much on the foreign policy now except for this. And obviously, he's never going to um, hold China responsible for anything. That's about what we've seen so far from him. Yeah, and, and listen, he can't even get Mexico. Uh, he isn't engaged enough with Mexico to stop the border crisis, which at the end of the day starts with a foreign policy solution. Get the countries downstream in this migration effort to stop the migration, protect these people from COVID. He hasn't even really done much of that. They got a little deal done earlier this week, finally. Yeah. But, you know, uh, that should have been on day one or two once they created the crisis. Well, I should think, have been downstream. Yeah, I think the vice president's in charge of that, so he's not too worried. <laughs> She's, she she <laughs> yes, may go, she may go there. Kick that sneaker to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, as always, I love having you on. I appreciate your time. Are you going to maybe take some calls here in the next segment? Absolutely. I took one during the commercial break. I'll be here for a whole half hour taking calls. All right. The next half hour, 844-995-3762. This is your chance to talk to the great, fantastic editor-in-chief and founder of Just the News, John Solomon. He will take some calls. His special is tomorrow night, 8 p.m., right here on Live from Studio 6B. Thank you very much, Mr. Solomon, for coming on. Thank you for answering calls. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m., do not miss it. America's Voice presents Primetime with Dr. Gina. How do you feel about those health passports and forced vaccinations? So I think the vaccine, they're great. They're really great. And so I recommend taking it. At the same time, we have our freedoms. So I don't demand that people take them. I don't demand it. Uh, I think people should take them. Uh, I've taken it. Don't miss Primetime every weekday at 7 p.m. Eastern. All right, live from Studio 6B, 13 till the hour. I want to remind you once again, securing our elections, the grassroots battle for easy, safe voting tomorrow night, hosted by the great John Solomon. There he is taking some calls, 844-995-3762. You may get your opportunity to talk to him, 844-995-3762. Uh, it's time to do some sports, and here with that is Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? Hey, Big D, I wonder if John's getting any action on that Ranger game he talked about with the uh, ref being <laughs> on the take. No, he's talking to Harry. Harry yeah. just... Harry won't let him off the phone. Yeah, Harry called and said, hey, can you see if you can get those guys to do a shirt for me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's all I'm hearing. You're right. Oh, my gosh. All right, Major League Baseball. Uh, seven games are already in the books tonight. I'm going to run through those quickly. Uh, Blue Jays over the Yankees. 5-4 Blue Jays. Bo Bichette with two home runs, including a walk-off for the Jays.
days. Nationals over the Cardinals, 6 nothing. Joe Ross with six shutout innings for the Nats. Brewers, 7 nothing over the Cubs. Corbin Burns, six innings pitched. Uh, shutout for, uh, for, the, for the Milwaukee win. And uh, Red Sox, uh, doubleheader, swept both of them. Red Sox have now won nine in a row. That team is on fire as they swept the Twins 3-2 to two in the early game. And then they won again 7-1 to one just a little while ago. That game wrapped up. Royals over to Angels, 6-1. Brad Keller, five and two-thirds innings pitch. Only gave up one run. Giants over the Reds. Johnny Cueto, the ex-Red, came back to pitch five and two-thirds innings to uh, pull that game out as a shutout. He left a little bit early due to an uh, issue with his back, but Cueto back, is back in good form. Uh, Pirates one nothing. end of fifth over the Padres. Rangers lead the Jays, one not, the Rays one nothing. Tigers 6 nothing over the Astros. Uh, Mets 2-1 to over the Phillies. That's in the fifth. Marlins 5-2 over the Braves in the fourth. White Sox all over the Indians early on the top of second, 6 nothing, And Rockies go out west to visit the Dodgers, 10-10, first pitch. NBA action, one final. Bucks over the Timberwolves, 130-105. Chris Middleton with 27 for the Bucks. Cavs, 64-61 over the Hornets in the third. The battle for the top spot in the East, Sixes and Nets. Wells Fargo Center, Sixes right now leading 85-69 late in the third. Joel Embiid to lead all scores, 32 points and 11 boards. Raptors, 58-57 at the half over the Spurs. Magic over the Blue Bulls, 32-22. That's in the second. And Clippers, 30-27 over the Pistons, end of the first. Knicks lead the Pelicans, 39-30. Julius Randle, another good-looking player for the Knicks, leads all scorers with 11. And uh, the Knicks are two games inside the playoff push there for the East, so they're holding tight, Big D. NHL action right now. Just a couple of games. One final. The Wild over the Coyotes in a matinee. Still playing those games early in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, they won 5-2. to two. The Flames lead the Canadians 2-1 to one in the third. Jets and Senators tied at 1 in the third. Avalanche and Blues tied at 1 in the second. Golden Knights at the Kings in the Staples Center. 10-10 puck drop. And Ducks visit, do you know the way, to San Jose Sharks at 10-30 tonight. Brett Favre wants sports politics to be separated. I want to watch the game. This was sent to me by one of our good followers on Twitch, Coach Phil Burnett. Uh, he shot this out to me earlier this morning, and I, I grabbed it and put, went, went with this headline. Favre played 20 seasons in the NFL, and Ryan Gatos for Fox News is reporting that Brett Favre thinks politics are hurting sports, and would like to see both things go back to being separate. We've talked about this ad nauseum on the show, and I just thought the timing of this was so great because we were getting beat up a little bit, or at least I was getting beat up a little bit less than about the sports reporting and glazing over the scores and not wanting to hear it anymore, so I'm going to make my case. Favre made comments <laughs> earlier this week saying sports are better off being something to unify the country rather than use as a tool to further divide people. I think both sides, for the most part, want to see it just remain about the sport, not about politics, the Hall of Famers said. At least that's my interpretation. I know when I turn on a game, I want to watch the game. I want to watch the players and teams win, lose, come from behind. I want to watch all the, you know, important parts of the game, not what's going on outside of the game, and I think the general fan feels the same way. Favre's comments came days after Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta to Denver over Georgia's new voting laws. He said he's heard fans tell him they don't watch sports anymore because it has gotten too 
political. And we've heard that too. Uh, there's always been differences, he said. There's always been issues within the world, within the country, within our states. But again, something has to unify us. And I feel like the flag standing patriotically because blacks and whites and Hispanics have fought for this country and died for this country. It's too bad. Favre played 20 seasons in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons, Green Bay Packers, New York Jets, and Minnesota Vikings. And let me tell you something. When Brett Favre speaks on his podcast, people listen. He's still a legend in many ways. And I like that. Good points on that. So uh, Alex Rodriguez introduces himself to Timberwolves Anthony Edwards after admitting, I don't know who that is. This is from Paulina <laughs> Dadaj of Fox News. Alex Rod- Rod- Rodriguez made an effort to introduce himself to one of his potential future players after Minnesota Timberwolves Anthony guard Anthony Edwards said he had no idea who the famous ball player was. Edwards was asked about his thoughts on recent reports that the former Yankees third baseman is finalizing a deal to take over ownership of the NBA team in 2023, but the 2021st overall pick didn't seem to know who A-Rod was. A fan? Who is he, Edwards said with a chuckle. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't know who that is. I know he's going to be an owner, but I don't know anything about baseball. It's hard to believe that there's someone who doesn't know the 14-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove Award winner, and 2009 World Series champion, but Edwards seems to be one of them. And notorious (laughs) cheater. Yeah, that's true. No question. But uh, And, uh, you know, obviously J-Lo's boyfriend, he probably would realize that. She's a hell of a lot more famous than he is. Um, But anyway, he just said that... Hi, Anthony. I'm Alex. He said in his post on his Instagram, uh, he says, uh, Edwards reposted the story to his own Instagram saying, what, what's my good guy up to? And uh, it seems like there's no hard feelings and moving forward. That deal still has to get approved. Um, he's hooked up with billionaire Mark Lore, and they're waiting for the uh, NBA, obviously, to sign off on that. Um, and uh, another report that broke earlier today, Yahoo Sports, a sore complaint filed against Rams' Aaron Donald. This is uh, from Jeff Eisenberg of Yahoo Sports. Pittsburgh attorney said today that he has filed a criminal complaint against Los Angeles Rams defensive tackle Aaron Donald in the wake of an alleged altercation last weekend. Attorney Tal Hollis told Yahoo Sports that Donald assaulted his client, DeVincent Spriggs, outside of Pittsburgh After Hours Club in the early mornings of April 11th. Hollis said the incident left Spriggs with an array of injuries, including a concussion, a broken nose, an eye socket, and a cut near his right eye that required 16 stitches. Apparently, uh, this gentleman bumped into Aaron Donald, and uh, his friends escorted the guy outside, and uh, they got into a little bit of a brawl, and um, his friend actually had to lay on top of him uh, in order to protect him, because there was a real beatdown. So, we're going to see whether or not uh, um, Aaron Donald's going to be charged with uh, felony charges of assault, or where this is going to go. Obviously, Aaron Donald, arguably the best defensive player on the defensive side of the ball. He's absolute stud, and uh, we're going to see. I'm sure the I don't NFL's even think it's arguable. Us. I think he's just he's completely unstoppable. Now you got to fight that guy at a buzz on. Yeah, he's a beast. He's Oof. a beast, Paul. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I get hit by a Volvo. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I just have one more quick one, if I could. Yahoo Sports reporting UFC 264, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, com- confirmed for capra- capacity crowd in Los Angeles. This is from Cassandra uh, Negley Ryder of uh, Yahoo Sports. The Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier bout is officially on uh, in Vegas. This coming from President Dana White. Uh, he announced that earlier today. The fight will be July 10th at T-Mobile Arena as a pay-per-view card. It's the third meeting between them and comes two days after McGregor said he was calling off the fight, but you know, Connor, he's retiring, he's coming back, it's on, he said he's going to go, Connor said, I'm going to rip this game anew, well, you figure out the rest, July 10th, he told Helwani, the Mac is back in Sin City, full house, it'll be a big fight, but my money's going to be on Dustin Poirier, I think uh, McGregor's time has come and gone, but capacity crowd, T-Mobile Center, get your tickets, they go on sale 
tomorrow. It's become a little personal because Poirier accused McGregor of stiffenish charity for $500,000 that he said uh, he was going to donate. So yeah. it's become a little little personal. So, mm. um, All right, thanks, Ray. All right, live from Studio 6B, Hour 2 coming up. We'll do some news. I have some breaking news for you as well. You're not going to like it. Uh, John Solomon still taking calls, 844-995-3762. We're back for Hour 2 right after this. Hour two live from Studio Six B. Glad you're in on a Wednesday night. Great first hour. The great John Solomon joins us. Talk about his special tomorrow night on Real America's Voice, 8 p.m. Securing our elections, the grassroots battle for easy, safe voting. And it'll be good. And it is a battle. And uh, he's gonna have the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp on. Senator Rick Scott, great guests. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m. right here, Real America's Voice. All right, let's do some news. We haven't done much uh, with Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? Well, uh, Project Veritas again. We talked about it a little last night. The first video came out last night. The one that came out today was even better. CNN staffer claims network pushed propaganda to get Trump out of the office undercover video shows. A CNN staff was caught in a hidden camera. Charlie Chester, a technical director at CNN, was secretly filmed by Project Veritas during a number of fake Tinder dates set up over the past month. He suggested that if it weren't for the network's <laughs> propaganda, the former president, Donald Trump, would have won the presidential election. So um, I think we have this clip. No, so- we don't have the clip of that. We have the there, there was a bunch of stuff that Project that's what we have. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. why don't, you, why don't let me, we roll- let me try one more time? We we don't have him talking about Trump losing the election. What we have him talking about is CNN and how they covered the coronavirus. Correct, G. Okay, thank you. So what Paul's saying is correct. They also. Caught so, him saying so that. that. If that's what we have, then we should look. He's like, look what we did. We got Trump out. I am 100% going to say it. And I 100% believe that it wasn't for CNN. I don't know Trump would have gotten voted voted out. Our focus was to get Trump out of office, right? Without saying it, that's what it was. And uh, he said Trump was, and I don't know, like shaking his hand or whatever. And so we brought in like so many people to like all tell the story that like it was all speculation that he was like neurologically damaged and he was losing it. He's unfit, you know, whatever. We're creating a story and we didn't know anything about. Yeah. So that was the first part of what they caught. So the second part that they released today 
was the same guy talking about how they covered coronavirus. And when you listen to this, you will hear things that we covered on this show that Paul Nolan said almost verbatim when we used to discuss the coverage of coronavirus, coronavirus deaths, coronavirus numbers on the screen, the charts on all of these screens. So just listen to this. This is, I won't, it won't be um, posed this way in the media, of course, but to me, this is everything you knew CNN was, but still hearing it from someone who was involved doing it on a daily basis, taking calls from Jeff Zucker in the newsroom is pretty astounding. Roll that, G. Sad news doesn't do well with ratings. You know, like, if you can get someone in passion, that does really well with ratings. Sad news, back to back to back, doesn't do really well unless it affects them directly. COVID, gangbusters with ratings, right? Which is why we constantly have a death toll on the side, which I have a major problem with that we're tallying how many people die every day. Because I've even looked at it and been like, look at it and be like, let's make it higher. Like, why isn't it high enough, you know, today? Like, it would make our point better if it was higher. And I'm like, what am I rallying for? That's a problem that we're doing, you know? Like this special red phone ring. Yeah. And they pick it up and it's like the head of the network being like, there's nothing that you're doing right now that makes me want to stick. Put the numbers back up because that's the most enticing thing that we have. So put it back up. So like things like that are constantly talked about. I mean, there's no such thing as um, unbiased news. Any reporter on CNN, what they're actually doing is they're telling the person what to say. It's always like leading them in a direction before they even open their mouth. And the only people that we will have on the air for the most part, are people that have a proven track record of taking the bait. Oh, man. We, how many times have we talked about that, day? Oh, tons. How many times have we talked about how they load up man. these questions and they just frame it in such a way and they just leave the guests to kind of just babble on to validate their silly points? There's other parts in this video where he literally says, if it, if it bleeds... It leads, which yep. is something you said verbatim on this show when we talked about the coverage of COVID and all we saw was death and numbers and death and death and the charts on the side and the, the bloody colors, the bloody colors, the actual exact color of blood in a bag, not just like cartoon red. They made it look like absolute horror movie Rob Zombie blood. And here you have somebody who's there working on these shows every day in the control room. Taking direct orders from Zucker. Taking direct orders from Zucker saying, I don't, what you're doing right now is not motivating me. Put up the number, the death. You have a guy saying, oh, why aren't the numbers higher? Basically calling for people to die. Admitting and making up stories and about then, neurological issues. And then saying... That the hosts on air are basically being told what to say in their ear before they speak. And they'll only put people on the air who will take the bait. Meaning, we know what, pretty much planning out what they're going to say before they come on. 
This is why I, I donate to Veritas. This is why I subscribe to Just the News. This is why I buy Epoch Times, because I know I'm going to get real journalism, and it's, it's a dying art form. So, you know, we got to support these guys because it's an information war. That is a pretty astounding clip, given that most of us who were doing this every night during that time talked about these exact things. The way the mainstream media was using the charts, the way they kept going back to them, the way it was all the just death, death, nothing ever positive. And then you tie that with the first part that Paul reported in the, in the thing about it was all just a course to get whatever they could do to help get him out of office. The idea that they were solely responsible, I don't buy into at all. But, um, but this, is, this is CNN. This is what you know they are, but yet when you see it. What's their slogan again? <laughs> you just said it. I think it's this, this is, is CNN, CNN is their slogan. Yeah. No, the, the no, most trusted name in news. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Sure. Well, yeah. when you're up against MSNBC, and I, I guess you could still take your shot with that. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Amazing stuff, isn't it? Pretty astounding to hear right from the horse's mouth. Yeah, well, and, that's, and a fra- that's a phrase that, that I, I think I've used plenty of times on several what even is that if it bleeds it leads because that's all it's about that's all it's about it's about bad news the worse the better because they need the eyeballs in front and if and like he said oh if it's too depressing uh look it, it kills the ratings so they, they got to find something else to kind of juice it and what juices it well let's let's see hmm how many dead people can we show what can we get away with it's you know, all- it, it's just all big. It's all one big um, infomercial. Yeah. Uh, bait and switch. Clickbait. Pro- it's propaganda. And, yeah. I, and there's even a book called Lying with Numbers, where uh, I'm sure that that's what they've done when they're looking at all these numbers. Like, well, and as he said, we're cheering the numbers up. Hey, it, why is it so low? We got to get it higher. That's just disgusting. That, that, that right there. You, and I think you said it, Paul, right when he said it, it's like, why do I just want to punch this guy in the face? I mean, he's rooting for deaths for his own yeah. benefit. You know, I think what's key here is also is like, oh, now the COVID is going to taper off. At some point, it's not going to be a it's going to be that's not going to be a problem anymore. Climate change can take years. So they'll use uh, that probably to make uh, to be able to milk it for quite a bit. Climate change is going to be the next COVID uh, thing for CNN. Fear sells. Yeah. So you yeah. know, just get ready for more propaganda on that too. And they're going to pa- package it. And I think I heard this uh, on Bongino's show today that they're talking about using climate emergency. Watch everybody start using the phrase climate emergency in unison across the uh-huh. mainstream media that is the new buzzword that's kid. the new buzz Nailed phrase it. climate emergency but don't don't worry because they're they're cranking up the war machine mm-hmm. if you need some blood boy there's a lot of saber rattling going on oh, in the, uh, russia and well they're about to Ukraine go to war I mean, and crimea yeah. you hear what putin said the u.s better you know stay out of it if it knows what's good for it i mean no one's talking I, i'm i'm actually shocked how I mean, not that I'm watching the news, obviously. I'm prepping to do the show here at 8. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of coverage for, for the way the Russians are stacking troops at the border. No. You know, well, 40,000 troops they just sent. 
think about it. Fox doesn't even report it, right? So, like, Fox has become just, well, not just as useless, but it's useless, too. It's useless. You can't get news there. You got to come here. You know, and the, it's really, where else are you going to go? Even Newsmax has been nailed as being shady a bunch of times. Yeah, and, and now look at what's going on with, oh, we're going to pull out the troops on 9-11. Really? A 9-11, That's Joe? the day. Yeah, That's good the call. day he picked. Yeah, good I swear that. And he's, and he's trying to sell it as this is his idea of pulling the troops out. Come, well, it, started come on. In the, it started in the last administration. So how is it his idea? John Solomon just said that. Yeah. May 1st is supposed to be the day. So let me want to, you want to beat, I mean, I, I personally love to show more of this Project Veritas stuff because to me it's just so, it's so important to me to share because this guy gets shunned everywhere. He's kicked off Twitter. He can barely get anything on, um, on YouTube. You know, so go to Project Veritas when you, if you need to see this. It's, it's a must-see, though, the two nine-minute videos. But, All right, uh, what's the breaking news This here, is from Paul? The Intercept. House and Senate Democrats plan a uh, bill to add four justice Supreme Courts. The Constitution allows Congress to set the number of Supreme Court justices and to unveil legislation expanding the size of the Supreme Court on Thursday, according to three congressional sources familiar with the closely held measure. The bill would add four seats to the high court, bringing the total to 13 from a current nine. The number of justices on the court has fluctuated widely throughout the course of the nation's history. While Republicans currently hold six seats, Democrats hold just three since the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. We settled on nine in 1869. It has been nine, I believe, since then. Yeah, this I is... Believe. Uh, the bill is being led by none other than uh, the Penguin, Jerry Nadler, Hank Johnson, who's a complete goofball, and uh, freshman uh, rep- representative uh, Mondaire Jones. I- I'm not, uh, I've seen it, but I don't, she's from Georgia. I, I don't know. I don't know either. And Ed Markey from Massachusetts. Ed Markey, right. Ed Markey. Championed another, by him. Another, now, another tool bag. Uh, Biden... Just came out and said he's put... Well, that's a little strong, Paul. I think that's <laughs> maybe just a little strong. Yeah, I'm just sorry. A little bit. Um, Biden just came people. out and said... <laughs> sorry, man. I'm sorry. Um, that he was putting together this big commission. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a national conversation, too. Yeah. Well, so, he, jumped, he jumped in the time machine. He went and checked, and he came back with the answer. So that's the breaking news, <laughs> according to The Intercept. They're going to unveil this... On Thursday, ladies and gentlemen, they are, as I told you, they are going after this country like we've never seen before. America's Voice presents War Room with Steve Bannon. Yeah, I want to talk about the mentality. This is the reason we're in the situation that we're in. The reason we're in the situation we're in is because of the compromise, the money of the Chinese Communist Party flowing through our capital markets, flowing through our cultural institutions, flowing through our corporations, and eventually buying political coverage in the Uniparty here in Washington, D.C. Don't miss War Room every weekday at 10 a.m. Eastern. All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6P. Let's do some um, 
Let's do some video here. Let's, uh, we've got a couple of crazy towns. So Joe Biden, um, before I get to, I was going to get to this article by Horowitz today because we're learning more about this Dante Wright in this horrendous um, story out of Minnesota and this police officer who has now retired after 26 years of service over the fact that she pulled her revolver instead of her taser and shot Dante Wright, who we find out today um, has an aggravated robbery charge. And Mr. Horowitz writes why Dante Wright's aggravated robbery, robbery charge matters so much. Criminals on the street are the whole reason why police are so often confronted by violent fugitives. So I do want to get to that if I have time, but let's let's do crazy town here, G, because Joe Biden likes to, um, well, we've seen him do this multiple times. He tries to rewrite history, whether it's based on something he said <laughs> or um, his stance on something policy-wise. And we've just seen it over and over throughout the, he's just, he can't remember anything because he's old. And more importantly than that, he's a liar. That's a, bad, bigger... that's a bad combo. When you can't remember your lies, you're, it's gonna, this is going to get interesting. And yeah. you lie profusely, which he does, and always has his whole career. And that's yeah. just a fact. I'm not hating on him. You could, you could just go back. We've played you the examples. You know, if he said I had waffles for breakfast, you couldn't believe it. <laughs> no, you couldn't. Well, so he, he tried to do that today in a speech he gave on foreign policy uh, on Afghanistan. And that's the basis of our first crazy town. Roll it, G. I flew to Afghanistan to the Kunar Valley, a rugged mountainous region on the border with Pakistan. What I saw on that trip reinforced my conviction. I said, among with others, we'd follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell if need be. That's exactly what we did, and we got him. There's been some recent confusion about that, um, about whether you told the president to conduct the raid or not to conduct the raid. Which is it? <laughs> Everything I said was completely accurate. I just never until uh, last Tuesday night told the whole story. It was something that was a difficult call for the president, so we sat in the cabinet room, and. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, making the decision, he said, now I want everybody's opinion. Two people for certain said absolutely do something. One, the CIA director said go. Two, the Secretary of Defense said don't go. Every single person Boy, so in that room hedged their bet, except Leon Panetta. Leon said go. Everyone else said, oh boy, 49, 51, this to, got to me and he said, Joe, what do you think? And I said, you know, I didn't know we had so many economists around the table. I said, we owe the man a direct answer. Mr. President, my suggestion is don't go. We have to do two more things to see if he's there. I joked and I said, uh, 
You all sound like uh, 17 Larry Summers, an economist on the one hand and the other hand. <laughs> and, and he said, uh, Joe, what would you do? And there was a third option that I didn't really think we should do. I said, well, I said, I, I think we should uh, um, make one more pass with another UAV to see if, it's, if it is him. In order to give the president the leeway he needed, I said, Mr. President, there's one more thing we can do, what we had discussed about another pass to see whether it was bin Laden. I said, you should do that, and there'd be still time to have the raid, but that's what I would do. Immediately, we got up, as we always do, and I walked out with the president, we walked up to the Oval. I said, Mr. President, follow your instincts. Why not you should do it, but follow your instincts. If I so had the reporting said, that you were opposed to the raid is incorrect. What the reporting was accurate when I said, I didn't say go, and I didn't. The next morning, he came down through the diplomatic entrance, getting in a helicopter, I believe, to go to Michigan. I'm not positive with that. He turned to Tom Donald and said, go. Knowing <clears throat> that as loyal as everyone is around that table, when pressed and when books were written later, would have said, I didn't tell him to do that. I said, we owe the man a direct answer. Mr. President, my suggestion is don't go. I said, among with others, we'd follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell if need be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure you did, Grimms. Sure you did. Oh, my God. Hold that's it. Incredible yeah, slow it down. Yeah, what a great to the gates of hell. But the thing is, I checked that the gates of hell aren't in Pakistan, are they? Yeah. Are they? I, I don't know. Yeah, so there you go. So that, so <laughs> just don't take my word for it. Don't say, well, Damon, you just don't like him. Okay, well, I don't need to. I'll just show you. He's a vicious, old, senile liar. And he tries to rewrite history at every turn. As he now takes credit for going after Osama bin Laden, he wanted nothing to do with it. Zero. Yeah, anytime you're rating slip... Say I killed Osama bin Laden and boom, spiked on up. He couldn't have tried to hedge that except for that time where he said no. <laughs> Every other time, well, I kind of said maybe we could. And then he says, well, there's a, I told him there's a, a third thing we could do, which I didn't really want to do. <laughs> but I thought, oh, oh, this is great. This is the kind of decision making going on now even worse uh, 12 years later here in the White House. This is what's going on. <laughs> but now the decisions are like, you know, do you want cornflakes or what? Well, I don't know. Corn gotta... pop wants cornflakes? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, man. From 2012, he's looked like he had some authority to him. He had some wit about him. He looked authoritative. And yeah, boy, that, he got 15. He was a babbling fool. And, and now he's just a decrepit little puppet master. Yeah, now he can't figure out what flavor Metamucil he wants to use. I mean, yeah. He really does look like Jeff Dunham's puppet. He does. Yes. <laughs> and, like the same skin tone, too, like plastic. <laughs> crazy. But hey, you know what? Gates of hell. They're most, just not located in Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, we're going to fight, Ted, along with others. <laughs> most uh, votes ever. No, no, you didn't. We most, owe this man an answer. 80 million. I said no. <laughs> 80 million. 80 million served. I said no, but there may be another, which I don't really want to do. Well, we need, we, he deserves an answer. Well, okay. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's Joe Biden today in his speech about pulling the troops out of Afghanistan. Now he was all in on the Obama, um, Osama bin Laden raid. He was all for it. He, Joe is the, um, 
he stealed from the cheap seats trying to uh yeah he, uh. you know what he, he he's the he's the uh big mouth with the big friend right who, who always says stuff unless the big friend's not around to back him up well guess what the big friend's not around to back you up now joe what are you gonna do i've followed him to the gates of hell yeah now well now that you got him yeah, yeah. Oh, what I are you told gonna do him. i told him to go <laughs> he relied on me yeah yeah, okay. me, meanwhile, Putin's got him in a full Nelson while he's giving him noogies. <laughs> and you know Obama's like, wait, Joe said don't go, I should go. Oh, It's like opposite day. Do, do the opposite. Whatever Joe says, you do the opposite because then you'll be successful. I'm yeah, sure, that's I'm, good policy. I'm sure that probably factored into his uh, thinking. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> Everybody else give me an answer. I'll make it look like I really care. But whatever Joe says, doing the opposite. Joe, I think I would have called sick today. I'll, I'm going. <laughs> Presents Just the News AM with Sophie Mann. Biden also introduced a number of other regulations that will affect gun owners across the country, but emphasized that he does not see his actions as a threat to the Second Amendment. Were the case, if what he said was true, he wouldn't need to be doing executive orders. He wouldn't need to be forcing this down the American public's throat. Don't miss Just the News AM every weekday at 9 a.m. Eastern. Thirty minutes past the hour, live from Studio Six B. Those of you asking for the crazy town we just ran, it is uh, now on our Rumble, Rumble.com/lfs6b, and I'll share it to Twitter here as soon as it's ready to be shared to Twitter. But if you want to go right now, Rumble.com/lfs6b, make sure you follow the page, and you can see that video once again right there on yeah. Joe rewriting history as he always tries to do and i'm sharing it on gab and the group on gab that follows the show there as well okay let's uh let's do some more news here with paul nolan what's going on mr nolan well um officer who fatally shot ashley babbitt in the capitol riot won't face charges uh, according to the justice department this is from just the news written by joseph weber uh the u.s capitol police officer who fatally shot ashley babbitt in in the uh Capitol riot on January 6th will not face capital charges. The department determined there was not sufficient evidence to appoint the criminal prosecutor to the case, according to the statement from the department's U.S. Attorney's Office of the District of Columbia. The 35-year-old Babbitt was attempting to enter a broken window on a door into the Speaker's lobby in the House side of the U.S. Capitol building when she was shot. In a chaotic scene captured on a bystander video, showed the demonstrator trying to and getting to try and getting into the lobby of the House floor when members frequent members uh, frequently gathered, and uh, she will not be charged. We, um, I mean, uh, the officer won't be charged, and we, we can't even identify 
this officer. And uh, meanwhile, the other officer who uh, made the mistake in Minnesota is being doxxed right now. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but uh, her home is under siege. Um, multiple people have brought this point up that we don't um, even know who this is, what we're talking about here in the Ashley Bat. We don't know who killed her. And yet, yes, you see the, 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 the difference in the two situations, how you, have, you knew who the officer was in Minnesota in about four seconds. Uh, she's already resigned after 26 years of service in what was admittedly a horrendously awful mistake. Um, and you look at the video that was released of the body cam and you see the other officers that are with her there and it's just just a horrible situation all around but as john solomon always says these things never seem to end where they begin we heard about well he was pulled over only because of some hanging air freshener hanging from his window or is from his mirror which now the pictures reveal there were no such things and we find out today that he has an aggravated robbery charge and now you have this i don't know who the official is in minnesota saying these uh, it's just these people who think good policy is going to ever come out of reacting four seconds after something like this happens is just beyond me you have this official in minnesota saying well you know, maybe the, these police officers don't need to be armed when they walk up into these traffic stops. What? Huh? I mean, it's, it's just nothing ever good comes from, especially good policy, ever comes from trying to come up with it 10 minutes after the episode. Not only, I, go ahead. I was going to say, not only that, but they, they always attack, well, these officers need to be trained better. Um, no, I'm going to say no. I'm going to call shenanigans on that because I think we've seen, and, and there are a bunch of, bunch of videos you can watch where people go on, they go on uh, ride-alongs with the cops, they, they go through some of this stuff, and they see how intense this training is. And then when you're put in those situations, how intense and, and tent, uh, filled with tension they are, um, why don't we turn it back to, hey, what is, what is the person who's actually being arrested? What is their attitude? What did they do? How about we focus on the criminal as opposed to the person who's trying to uh, corral that criminal and say, look, uh, we have an outstanding warrant for your arrest. We're going to handcuff you now. And all of a sudden, this person starts swinging, trying to get away. I'm sorry, but you know what? Stop pointing at the good guys. That's like saying, you know what? We need to get guns off the street. Okay, how about Chicago? Uh, we don't look at Chicago because it's all illegal. Well, there you go. That, there's your double standard. And that's the amazing double standard that we continue to see. And I bet CNN, if you keep talking to that, that stupid uh, uh, producer, director, whatever the heck he was, he'll say, oh, yeah, we, we have to keep pushing this narrative. And we got to find out how, how we can make, make them look guilty and all that's because that's what their narrative is. I saw the video, by the way, of your guy who came up to the reporter. Remember you told yeah, me about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yesterday. A guy in the street who came right. up to her and said, you know, I'm not down with you guys at all coming here. You're making things worse. 
I saw that. I mean, you were right. We couldn't play it. He F-bombed every other word. But right. he was, but, but he was mean, dead right. right on the money. Yeah, he was dead right. He, he had them dead to rights. And it's amazing that they actually let that fly on the air. So but, Har, Harwitz has this piece today. I won't go through the whole thing because I want to do more news. But he basically says of this uh, situation, he says, here we have yet another example of a saintly youth needlessly shot dead by police simply because he was black. Well, that's the narrative the media wants you to believe about the Dante Wright shooting. But the reality is that while the shooting was obviously a clear and horrendous mistake, his criminal record and the fact that he was not behind bars are precisely why the police are now confronted by violent fugitives who either run or fight them. No, Dante Wright was not just a young man living an upstanding life who wound up dead because the police pulled him over for an expired car registration or some air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror. According to documents obtained by the Daily Mail, the outstanding warrant police were uh, attending to after they pulled Wright over was for aggravated robbery at gunpoint. According to charging documents, Wright was sleeping over at the house of a young woman on December 1st of 2019 when he suddenly pulled a gun on her and demanded she hand over money she'd obtained from an ATM. He proceeded to choke her and threatened to shoot her while she kneeled. After he was arrested, Wright was released from jail after a bondsman posted $40,000 bond. But in July 2020, his bail was revoked by a judge when he was caught with a firearm, a violation of his bail, and failed to check in with the probation officer. Wright is one of a thousand young males in every major city of this country who have become increasingly violent, successfully thwart the law, suffer few consequences, and thus feel invincible when confronted by law enforcement yeah that's just a little bit of this article today from daniel harwitz which i'll post if you want to read the rest of it but um and that's a product of great parenting too you know because let's face it and it all starts at schools because when you when now nowadays you go in well you know little johnny or little jane here isn't doing their work well what that they attack the teacher instead it used to be the teacher and the parent kind of kind of were, were, you know, side by side, you know, letting Johnny or Janie know that, you know what, you're out of line, your attitude's got to change, your, your habits have got to change, you're not allowed to do, everybody thinks their kid is a golden child now, I'm sorry, but if your kid stinks, your kid stinks, it's, well, it's but, the bottom line, okay, and, and, but and the, parents got to get this, get, get, get on the ball and start saying, you know what, there have to be repercussions. You have to teach this kid respect. They cannot, you know, just run away from police and and break windows and do what they want. No, there's got to be rules or else you have anarchy. I I, I understand that. The point point of this article, though, is that he shouldn't be in that situation, not because he had bad parenting or no parenting or whatever the situation is. He should have been in jail because of his prior convictions and prior arrests. He shouldn't be on the streets for then these officers to have to come up to this car. They know before they get there that there's a warrant out and then have to deal with it. He says when police confront these people, 
They either serve a warrant or often because of low-level traffic stop, the criminals, either because of their violent nature, because they know they have a reason to fear the law, they explode. They fight because they're criminals and they know the police are now watched closely and treated as if they are the ones on probation. In previous eras, these people who had committed these kind of crimes would have been behind bars. But recently, our justice system decides now to keep them on the streets. That's the point. So, well, I'll link this on our social media. Um, <clears throat> you can read the rest of it. It's very good. All right, what else, Paul? Uh, you know, um, there's a few other things here. Uh, Governor Pete Ricketts signs proclamation declaring Nebraska's Second Amendment sanctuary state. Uh, Nebraska governor has signed the proclamation declaring that his state is a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Nebraska has always been a state that supported our Second Amendment rights as a symbol of that support. Today, I'm signing a proclamation to declare Nebraska is a Second Amendment sanctuary state. The U.S. White House, I'm sorry, the White House and the U.S. Congress have announced their intention to pursue measures that would infringe on the right to keep and bear arms. Part of our pro- proclamation states, Nebraska will stand up against federal overreach and attempts to regulate gun ownership and use in the good life. Another section of the proclamation states that. So good to see more uh, things like uh, you were saying earlier, Rick. We saw New Hampshire. Right? We've seen uh, Florida. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing a little federalism here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jen Saki, 14 G. Let's, let's, I want to see what she says here about my birthday <laughs> gift. Uh, roll that. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, April 28th address to Congress, what we should expect to hear from the president? And also, logistically, we know that the attendance will be reduced. So how are you deciding who gets to attend? Um, and then are you working with Capitol Police on security or are you monitoring any potential threats at this point? Sure. Well, on the second and third question, um, we, of course, are working very closely with the Speaker's office, with the offices of leaders in Congress. Uh, The President was uh, is looking forward to, uh, is excited to have accepted their invitation to address a joint session, something that he has been eager to do since he uh, was inaugurated. In terms of a preview of what the speech will look like, we're just, we're a couple weeks out for that, so I expect we'll have more to say as we get closer. Uh, But certainly you can expect that he will talk about uh, Uh, all of the priorities and his commitment to building the economy back better, uh, getting the pandemic under control, uh, addressing the challenges we face around the world. But as we get closer and the speeches uh, written, we'll have more of a preview. Uh, In terms of invitations, um, that certainly would be uh, handled by the Speaker's office, and so I'd point you to them. Yeah. Wonder if he'll come down in a crown and a (laughs) saber ruling over the monarchy, maybe. (laughs) All right, live from Studio 6B, we'll do some more sports, a little more news, wrap it up on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. We're back right after this. Presents News On with Miranda Kahn. Voters oppose legislative proposals to relax 
election security rules. A George Washington never needed a photo ID to vote. Thomas Jefferson and no one else who signed the Declaration of Independence needed the, a voter ID to be able to vote. Why is that considered such a bad thing to do? Wouldn't that instill election integrity? Don't miss News On every weekday at noon Eastern. All right, 13 to the hour. Time to do sports. Here with that's Rick Amorati. What's going on, pal? Okay, big D. Major League Baseball. Pirates 2-1 to one over the Padres. That's in the eighth. Rangers over the Rays. 5-0 in the fifth. Tigers right now leading the Astros 6-2 in the sixth. Mets leading the Phillies 3-1. That's in the eighth. Marlins 5-3 over the Braves in the seventh. White Sox 6-0. Actually, 8-0 over the Indians. Check that. That's in the fourth. And Rockies and Dodgers getting ready to start out west at 10-10. And we're going to go to NHL action. Final. Jets over the Senators 3-2. Flames 4-1 over the Canadians. Late third. Avalanche 4-1 over the Blues in the third. And we got the night visiting the Kings in the Staples Center and Ducks going out to the Sharks out west in San Jose. NBA action. Cavaliers over the Hornets. Final 103 to 90. Uh, Torian Prince with 25 to lead the Cavs. Just went final in Wells Fargo Center. Philadelphia 76 is 123, 117 over the Brooklyn Nets. Joel Embiid with 39 points and 13 boards. Wow. And Kyrie Irving with 37 for the Nets. Nets were missing some key players. So uh, it's going to be a real battle when they get back uh, Durant and Harden for the next matchup. Uh, but the Sixers take the lead in the East by one game. Raptors over the Spurs, 102. 93. That's in the fourth. Magic over the Bulls, 85 to 70. Late third. Pistons right now lead the Clippers, 64 61. End of the third. Knicks right now leading the Pelicans, 93 89 at the end of the third. Warriors, 36 32 over the Thunder. Early second. Paces over the Rockets, 33 24 in the second. Mavs, Grizzlies just tipped off. Heat going to the Nuggets at 10. And Wizards visit the Kings also, 10. PM tip. Jordan Poyer's wife slams COVID vaccine mandate at Bills games. Very disturbed. Erie County said fans must be vaccinated to attend Bills and Sabres games next season. This is for, from Paulina Dadaj of Fox News. The wife of Buffalo's safety, Jordan Poyer, is fired up over a new local policy that will only allow vaccinated fans to attend games at Highmark Stadium next season. Erie County, New York executive Mark Polencars announced Tuesday that plans to have a full house at both Bills and Sabres games next season will only happen if fans get vaccinated. The new policy did not sit well with star safety Jordan Poyer's wife, Rachel Bush, who launched a tirade on social media, slamming it as unconstitutional. I am alarmed by the amount of Americans that think it's perfectly okay for the government to force an experimental vaccine on citizens. Very disturbed, she said one tweet. Absolutely. Love this story. Uh, Here is the thing. If you can if you cannot function in society normally without getting an experimental vaccine then there is no option, which means it's forced. It's their way or the highway, and that is the exact opposite of freedom and a choice. We will continue to fight this. All these mandates are unconstitutional. Every case has been won as of late. New Yorkers, if you cared and have been paying attention, you would know this. You would know that once the bills legally challenge this unconstitutional mandate, once again, we will win. Bush isn't alone with their stance on the mandate, but according to polling cause, that's just too bad. Quote, some people are like, well, that's unfair, but there's no God-given right to attend a football game. End quote. That's what Poland Carr's response was uh, to her story. So hot stuff, huh? 
But yeah. uh, glad to see one of the safety, uh, the safety of the Bills, big star, pro bowler. Um, his wife is speaking out. She's not happy about this. We're going to sh- need more people to have the guts and gumption to stand up against this. Yep. All it's going to take is a handful of voices, and it, it'll snowball. But everybody's so afraid of getting canceled, they won't speak up. Yep. Absolutely. Good point, Paul. And uh, Jennifer Jo Cobb to race at Talladega, become first woman in NASCAR top series since 2018. This is an ESPN report earlier today. Jo Cobb is set for her top flight NASCAR debut later this month at Talladega, which would make her the first woman to race in the series since Danica Patrick in 2018. Cobb will drive the number 15 uh, Chevrolet for Rick Ware Racing on April 25th, the team announced yesterday. The 47-year-old Cobb is expected to be the oldest driver at Talladega. Team owner Rick where praise Cobb's experience in a statement. Being a female in a male-dominated sport is not an easy task, especially for as long as Jennifer has been competing in NASCAR, Ware said. I hope that she has a successful first NASCAR Cup Series debut. Cobb has competed in five of the Truck Series, six races this season, with a best finish of 19th at Daytona in the season opener. She has one career top 10 truck finish since making her debut in, debut in 2008 and 31 career Xfinity starts as well. So she's going to be in the rig, big race with the big boys and let's hope she does well remember danica patrick she was good she held her own back in the day and All right, one more, Rick. 30 okay. seconds. Come and speaking on. of Danica Patrick, Aaron Rodgers, funny reaction to Jeopardy contestant uh, failing to answer Packers' question. Apparently what was said is um, there was a, uh, a, a question for tidal waves. Uh, in the 1960s, uh, the, these Midwesterners earned five NFL championship trophies, Rodgers read. Nobody had the answer. Obviously, duh, it's the Green Bay Packers. So Rodgers got a kick out of that. They say he's doing a heck of a job, you know, filling in for old Alex Trebek, who obviously passed away last year. But uh, it might be a future for Mr. Uh, the other A-Rod, Alex, uh, Alex Rogers. So that's a wrap from sports, Big D. <laughs> All right, thanks, Rick. Uh, a couple <laughs> things we're going to get to. We don't have time for Crazy Town. We'll get to that tomorrow. Um, let's get to uh, Cut 18G, and I'm going to present this without any setup, without any comment. Uh, roll it. We immediately re-engage with the Human Rights Council and have announced our intention to seek election to that body so that we can advance our most cherished democratic values around the globe. Of course, when we raise issues of equity and justice at the global scale, we have to approach them with humility. We have to acknowledge that we are an imperfect union and have been since the beginning. And every day we strive to make ourselves more perfect and more just. In a diverse country like ours, that means committing to do the work. It means learning and understanding more about each other. It means engaging trailblazing groups like yours to teach, to grow, to include, to improve. It means not forgetting our past or ignoring our present, but keeping both firmly in mind as we push for a better future. I tried to do this recently in the UN General Assembly when I spoke on the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. That day and commemoration was personal for me. So I told the UN some personal stories. I told them how my great-grandmother, Mary Thomas, born in 1865, was the child of a slave just three generations back from me. I grew up in the segregated South. I was bused to a segregated school. On weekends, the Klan burned crosses on lawns in our neighborhood. 
I shared these stories and others to acknowledge on the international stage that I have personally experienced one of America's greatest imperfections. I've seen for myself how the original sin of slavery weaved white supremacy into our founding documents and principles. But I also shared these stories to offer up an insight, a simple truth I've learned over the years. Racism is not the problem of the person who experiences right, it. Just Those of us who experience... Uh, I'm going to throw something at the TV. Just go back about 15 seconds. Let's just, with that graphic... Yeah, right. So play it right there. One more time. I've seen for myself how the original sin of slavery weaved white supremacy into our founding documents and principles. Okay, stop it. But I also... You know, if you're the if you're Joe Biden and you put this person, uh, this woman, Linda Thomas Greenfield, you know, sometimes you have to wonder when you hear things like that. We why do we need it? We don't need enemies to talk about. We don't need enemies to talk about us or talk. We could do it. We're doing it right here. We have people right here on the inside for that. Joe, and this coming from somebody Joe Biden put in place, Mr. Segregationist, Mr. Uh, 1975 NPR that I've played for you. The idea of black and white, oh, it upsets black, uh, the whole idea of black pride and black beauty. That this is, this is the president, somebody who's hanging out with segregationists, but it's weaved through our um, whole DNA of the country, according to the new UN ambassador. Isn't that nice? As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Most of all, thank you to Live from Studio 6B audience. We'll see you tomorrow night.